0: the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Romans chapter 3, this is a good atmosphere to preach in, and it fits perfectly with what I have been preaching for the last several weeks, which are messages about the cross and about salvation. And I knew last week what I was supposed to preach today. And so I want to read this text, and we're going to preach straight out of this text. And I'm praying and believing with all my heart that if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that before this service is over, you will pray and commit your life to Christ and experience that wonderful powerful transformation that comes through the power of the cross and through through salvation. So Romans chapter 3 verse 21, while you're turning there, thank you for social distancing. You're spreading out pretty good. I know families are sitting together, that's okay, but just spread out and, and take advantage of all the seats. I'm kind of watching this because as we fill up, I've just... I've got to I've got to stay on alert with that, and uh, you just pray for me and pray for our leadership as we're trying to make decisions week by week. But uh, I'd, I'd hate for us not to be able to come together again. But we'll just we're just gonna believe God's. going. We need to pray God wipes this stuff out, don't we? That's what I've been praying. I've been praying God wipe out COVID-19. If you can wipe out the plagues in the Bible, you can wipe out these plagues. But I want to read Romans chapter three, beginning verse 21. Paul said, "But now the righteousness of God." whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. I'll explain that in a minute. Through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. Watch this. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You can be seated this morning. I've entitled this message, The Verdict Is In and I'm right with God. The verdict is in, and I'm right with God. Um, My wife, Leah, she was the one standing over here singing just now. My wife, Leah, loves to watch Investigation Discovery and Dateline and 2020. Is there any of you who will admit that you like Investigation Discovery and Dateline and 2020? You You people are pitiful. You're pitiful. That's what you are. Every one of you are pitiful. I don't know how you do it. When I watch TV, I want to watch Sanford's Sanford Son. I want to watch something funny. I want to watch something that entertains, makes me laugh. I want to I want to watch action movie or something like that, a show. I don't want to watch shows about people getting murdered every week. But my wife gets into this. I told Lee, I said, you need to go back to Con- go back over here. She works at AU. I said, go down here to AU and get you a, a degree in criminal justice and go get a job at the police department here in Anderson. You can you can have your own NCISSI. You can have your own whatever that. You can do your own thing, you know, and be an investigator. If I ever die a mysterious death, Leah's the number one suspect. Because <laughs> she watches all these ways. So, so I have sat down with her to, to, to do things together, and I have watched Investigation Discovery shows and 2020 and Dateline. Now, I am I'm, see, I'm not a person who's all into that, so I'm coming in a little more objective. Um, to me, they're Hallmark movies. Because you ever notice a Hallmark movie, they're all the same? They're all the same. Hallmark movies, some of y'all ain't going to admit now that you like Hallmark movies. But they are. They're all the same. I've learned that all these TV shows are the same because here's how it works. There's a crime that's committed. It's usually a very heinous crime, a terrible crime. And now we've got to figure out who the suspect is. And so they go through the various suspects. And eventually they get it down to one. And you think this suspect is it. This is the person. You're saying this is it. You're sitting there in the chair in your den going, this, you, this is it. Leah looked at me. She said, they did it. Right, and I'm thinking, I think they did it too. And so the show carries on. Eventually they arrest them. They take them to court. And now they're in court and the judges, the, the jury's there and they're going through. And the prosecuting attorney's making their case. But then the narrator, and they always talk in that real weird voice. Could it be that? Things could change. They do the weird thing. Have you noticed that? I make fun of it in the house every time. I just mock it. So anyway, so they 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 they're setting it up right, and and then they make you begin to doubt, and you go, oh no, they're going to get away with this. They're, the jury's not going to find them guilty. They're they're the way they're they're going to get away with this crime. This is not right. They're gonna, the jury's going to find them innocent. They're going to acquit them, and so they work it up to the point where the jury comes in, and it's time for them to make the announcement. They go to a commercial. Every stinking time they go to a commercial. And so then you got to wait, and then they come back in, and they get you on edge, and every single time the jury finds them guilty. And all you investigation discovery people go, I thought they were going to get away with it. And then you go on to the next show, and it's the same thing all over again. But that's what I figured out. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is not to make fun of investigation discovery shows, but because when I looked at that, I thought, you know, you could take the Bible story and humanity and we could make a good investigation discovery show. Because the Bible, it's a fundamental truth of the Bible, it says, the Bible says, that we are all guilty of sin. Every one of us. We've broken the laws of God. So we're we're lawbreakers. We've committed crimes against God. And people would like to think who are in sin, that they can get away, get away with it. They, they think they can disobey God and nothing is going to happen, but that's not true. Just like in the investigation discover you're always gonna be found guilty. You're never gonna get away with it. And so we've already been found guilty of sin. We're condemned men and women. And uh, I think most people know it. I think if you talk to most sinful people, they're gonna tell you I'm not a good person. Now, every once in a while, you get people that are delusional, and they just think, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person and I've lived a good life and God is a loving God and he's going to take me into heaven. But that's not the way it works. And for the people who think they're going to go to heaven, all you have to do is go through the Ten Commandments. And you, everybody in this room has broken the Ten Commandments either literally or in spirit. And so if you'll take them through the Ten Commandments, by the time you get done with them, they'll say, I'm not, very, I'm not a very good person after all. And then you'll say, now do you still think you should go to heaven? And they'll go, mm, probably not. And, uh, and I'm in trouble. And, of course, that's a good opportunity to share the gospel. And so that's the, that's the dilemma. What is God going to do with a world full of sinful humanity that has broken his laws? This is the story of the Bible. This is the context of the gospel. And it is the context for what I want to preach about today, something that the Bible calls justification, justification. And justification in the Bible is always juxtaposed or closely contrasted with condemnation. So we're under condemnation, but we desperately need justification. So what is it? It's a major part of salvation. It's a legal term. I'm going to give you something that I read, kind of modified, out of a, of a a theological work. Justification is that gracious act of God whereby on the basis solely of Christ accomplished work on the cross. He declares the sinner just or righteous. And the sinner accepts this benefit with a believing heart. That's pretty good, isn't it? God declares you just or righteous based on, the, on, on what Jesus did, and you receive it with a believing heart, with faith. So I'm going to give you a little simpler term. To justify is, is to announce or declare a favorable verdict. That in spite of your sins... Because you've accepted the free gift of salvation by faith, you are declared to be right with God. It's the judge or the jury making the announcement that you are right with God. See, the law of God, just like our laws, the law of God demands that the guilty be condemned and the innocent be acquitted. So God is the righteous judge, he is, he is p- perfect in all of his decisions, he is Uh, The God without injustice, and so how can he declare a sinner righteous? How do you do that? How how do you take a criminal and say "You're, you're not a criminal anymore, you're a very good person? So how does that happen? God has three options. One, he can just condemn the sinner. Well, he's already done that. But he can leave it like that. Okay, so he looks at us and says, you're judged, you're condemned, you're, you're guilty, you've broken my laws, you're going to hell, live your life when you die, boom, you're spending an eternity in hell, see you later, alligator. And he could do that, okay? The second thing he could, do, he could do is he could compromise his own righteousness by allowing the sinner to stay in his ways. So it's kind of like the, the, the criminal in a courtroom before the judge, and the judge just kind of winks at him and says it'll be all right, I got this, I'll take care of this, I don't care what the law says, I'm gonna gonna let you off the hook. Okay, so now the judge is compromising his role as the judge. God's never gonna do that. The third option is that God changes the sinner into a righteous person, changes their state entirely. And so God chooses option three to be both, watch this, just and fair and and still be the righteous judge and the justifier. Is that cool? That's the length God went to. So, Job 9-2 asks, how can a man be in the right before God? How can a man be in the right before God? This is the question. How can I get right with God? And so, Paul gives the answer in Romans 3, 21-26. So, what I want to do with this message is take you through Romans 3, 21-26 and show you that this is really powerful. So, here's what Paul shows us. Are you ready? Number one, God had a plan. God had a plan. Matter of fact, God had a plan before he ever created the world. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So God knew in his foreknowledge that we were gonna sin and God had a plan. And the plan was very simple. He would make sinners righteous, not on the basis of the works of the law or in any other work that we do, but on the basis of his son, Jesus, who is righteous. So that's a plan. I'll make sinners righteous based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let me say this today so that we have this clear. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to secure justification before God. There's nothing that you can do. And people have been trying forever. I went back in my mind, I went back to, because I'm a pastor and a preacher, I went back to the Bible, and I thought, this has been going on from day one. Because Adam and Eve sinned, God shows up, obviously challenges them, and and so this is how Adam and Eve tried to justify themselves. They blamed somebody else. Adam looked at Eve and said, it's her fault. Eve pointed at the snake and said, well, it's his fault. The devil looked around and said, there's nobody else for me to blame. So he was sort of out. So then Adam and Eve had these two kids called Cain and Abel, and Abel's living right and doing the right thing, but Cain is not, sin is crouching at his door, and Cain comes to God and offers the fruit, literally the fruit of his, of his garden, of his labor, and says, God, I'm going to give you this, and God says, that's not my plan. You're, what you're supposed to do is kill a, a lamb and sacrifice that lamb and, and the blood needs to be shed and a, and a lamb needs to die in your place okay that's the plan. see because everybody in the old testament looked forward by faith to the cross we in the new testament get to look back by faith to the world they were looking for what was going to be done we look back at what has been done and so God said, no, the plan is you've got to look forward to Jesus because it's always on Jesus. And, and Cain said, no, I'm going to work my way into being right with God. God said it doesn't work that way. And instead he ended up being a terrible sinner and killed his brother. I'm going to come back to this in just a minute, but Luke chapter 18 has two examples of this. There was a guy who came to Jesus. I love this. He was called, he's called the rich young ruler. So he's rich, he's young, and he's in charge and has a position. Everything that a young person wants. Wealthy has position, and, uh, and, uh, and and he's young. Okay. He comes to Jesus says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I need to do to be right with God, to be justified? Jesus messed with people all the time, and he messes with this young man. And he says, well, you know the law. Say, keep the law. Keep the Ten Commandments. He just wants to see what he's going to say. I love this. He said, oh, I've kept them from my youth up. He's young. Ain't much youth in your life. You know what I'm saying? Ain't much life there because you haven't been living long enough. But, uh, you know, he wants to sound. So do you see what he's doing? He's justifying himself. So he's saying, oh, this is great. I love this. So you're just saying as long as I keep the commandments, I'm cool. This is wonderful. So, see, he's looking for rules to keep, and he's saying, I'm a pretty good person. This is all right. I'm a pretty good guy. And Jesus sees that he's not getting it, and he says, "Um, you're not getting it? So I'll tell you what there, rich young guy, um, I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then come take up your cross and follow me. And he went, whoa, 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 whoa. You want me to do what? Yes, yeah, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the guy left him and wouldn't he wouldn't follow Jesus because he he broke the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And his money was his God. So see we are trying to justify there I'm going to tell this story at the end of my sermon but there's Jesus tells a parable these two guys who come in to I, I say church it was a temple but they came to church and one was a Pharisee and he just compared himself to everybody else some people try to say well I'm not a serial killer I'm not a serial killer so I'm going to heaven as if that makes it okay okay and so he was he was bragging on himself and saying, I'm not like other people, that means I should go to heaven. We've been making excuses for as long as we can. And a lot of people do good and they keep some kind of moral rules, you know, and they think that'll make them right with God. But listen, doing good to others, keeping some set of moral rules may make you outwardly righteous, but your inner condition is still the same. You're still guilty. There's still sin in your life. So let me just say this to you and give you something to get happy about. Romans 3.23, we read it, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gospel tells us that all can repent and come to Jesus and be made right before God through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that great stuff right there? So that's the plan. So God had a plan. Second, God had a prerequisite. Here's the prerequisite. He said, If you're going to get saved and and my my son's going to do this work, then you have to have faith. You have to have faith. You have to put your trust, your confidence in what Jesus has done. So that's the prerequisite. That's why verses like Ephesians 2.8 are so important. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is why Galatians 2.16 is so important. Knowing that a man or a woman is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus, <clears throat> so you you are saved by simply trusting the Lord. It's just having faith. This past weekend, <clears throat> on Friday, my air conditioning went out at my house, and so Lee and I slept in like 86 degrees in our house Friday night with a box fan running, and that's I don't recommend that. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, we did it, and and I called a guy <clears throat> who graciously came out on Saturday, he said I can be there at 10:30, 11 in the morning. <clears throat> excuse me, so he came out, now I'm a DIYer, okay, so I'll, I'll do all kinds of things, as a matter of fact, Evan's car, my son Evan, his, his, uh, he had had some work done, and one of the things they said, they said, you need to change your back rotors, they're, they're shot, you need new brake pads, and they were gonna, I said, I told Evan, I said, don't let them do it, give it, let me do it, I can do it, I'll do it, it won't cost you anything, so he came over Saturday morning early, and, and I'm out there, and we're changing out the rotors, and, and putting new brake pads on, I, I can't do air conditioning. I can do a lot of things. You've got a preacher who gets his hands dirty. I can't do air conditioning. And, and I knew a little bit about it. I kind of had an idea what it might be, but you just don't ever know. So this gentleman comes out and he takes off the panel. And there's this, there's this little thing in there because one of our guys in the church had to graciously fix the same thing in our house. And I said, I said, we had, I mean, in our, in our office, I'm sorry. And I said, I looked and the guy was there. I said, no, we just had this happen. I said, it was that thing right there. I said, what's that? He said, that's called a capacitor. I, he, I said, well, that's what it was. He said, well, most likely that's what it is here. He said, that's the most common problem. I said, I said capacitor. I learned something, capacitor. And I thought, I could fix that. I could do that, but I just don't know. And so, so he went and he had him, and he came back and he put him in. And when he he put the little thing, you know, back in, they got a little thing out there, a box that cuts the power off. When he snapped that thing back in, that fan started running. I looked at him. And I said, you know I'm a preacher, right? He said, yeah. I said, oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I said, this is where the preacher gets happy. He said, "He said, praise the Lord. <laughs> he was a repairman. He said, praise the Lord. And it fixed it. Now, here's the thing. I, if I wanted to try to fix it myself, I could have tried, but I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know to pull the power thing off. Dumb me, I would probably left the current running. That would, could have been an interesting, you know, moment. But I didn't. Look, I had, you all with me? I had to trust somebody. Do you see that? Sometimes you just got to trust somebody else, okay? And that's what I'm saying. When it comes to being saved, you can't save yourself. You just have to have faith and trust Jesus. So this is what I want to tell you. You don't obtain righteousness. You don't attain righteousness. You don't achieve righteousness. Just by faith, you simply receive righteousness. Okay, so God had a plan. God had a prerequisite. Here's the third thing. God had a price. He set a price. And the price would be the ruby red blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The price would pay that, that would be paid would be the death of his son Jesus because when you break the law, there's a there's a price to be paid right okay if y'all ever because y'all never speed right so you, you get a ticket uh, I got that scary feeling uh, a couple weeks ago Lee and I went to Florida to be with her family and we were almost to our destination and we we're in this zone and it was at night and I'm riding along and I do have this car behind me but I was really watching the speed limit but I saw the sign up ahead, and I thought it was going to shift from 45 to 55, and so I I went ahead and started speeding up in anticipation. It was still 45. (laughs) So I let off the gas real quick, but it was too late. Blue lights and red lights went off in the back, and I'm like, oh, no. And I thought, oh, Lord, have mercy. This is not good. You know that terrible feeling you get? And then he zipped around me. He, he, I guess he was late for supper or whatever, but he took off and down the road he went. And, and, I, and I got happy again, like the air conditioning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. But when you break the law, there's a price. be you speed, you're going to get a ticket. They're going to put points on it. Your insurance is going to go up. There's a price to be paid. When you break great laws, we have laws that are so bad in many states that it's called capital punishment. You're gonna, You have to forfeit your life. Okay, that's, that's this kind of crime, that when we break the laws of God, the wages of sin is death. The soul who sins shall surely die. You're supposed to experience capital punishment. So the plan was we'll have a price to pay the blood, the death, but Jesus will come and die in our place. Who do you know that would die in your place? I saw a wonderful little story this week about a little boy whose little sister was with him and a dog attacked him. Did y'all see that? And that little boy, that little boy, like he's what, like what was he, like nine or something? Had as much maturity to say, he said, I figured if anybody was going to die, it was going to be me. that tear you up, won't it? And that dog tore his face. He had to have, I don't know how many stitches, but he protected his little sister. Y'all, that's something we watched you know, and read in the news this week, but that's what I'm trying to paint. The picture to you is that we should have died, but like that little boy, the little boy stepped in and said, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. Like that little boy, Jesus said, you ought to die, but if anybody's gonna die today, it's gonna be me, not you. Hallelujah. So he set a price, and this is what Paul means when he says you're justified freely, By his grace, that's what we read, justified freely. So listen to this. When God makes you righteous, it costs you nothing because it costs Jesus everything. Hallelujah. So it costs you nothing. because All right, so God had a plan. We're going to do this through Jesus. God had a prerequisite. It's going to be by faith and faith alone, by grace. He said we're going to set a price, and the price was the ruby red blood of Jesus. Now let me talk about this just a little bit more. We read this word there called propitiation. That's not a word you're going to use every day, propitiation. But propitiation, like if you have a study Bible, like my study Bible has a little one by that word, and you go over to the margin, you look, and it says mercy seat, mercy seat, okay? And so a propitiation is an atoning sacrifice. It also means a covering, a covering. Anybody here know what the mercy seat is, right? The mercy seat, if you don't know, was the lid on the Ark of the Covenant. So yesterday I had a God moment in the den watching TV. So I've been working, I mowed my yard, I did a lot of things outside yesterday, and I came in the house, I was hot, grabbed a Gatorade, sat out. I said, I need to cool off for a little while, flipped on the TV, surfing through, and there it was, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I said, yeah, and I started watching, and I'm watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then while I'm watching, it hit me, and I thought... This is part of my sermon. I'm having a God moment here. And there's this scene, right, where Deanna Jones and his and his partner, they have found the, the, the lost Ark of the Covenant. And they slide the poles in the rings. You can see them do it, but you can't see the Ark because we're looking at it from this angle. There's a, It's in this covering. And then they both grab it and they lift it up up in the air to get it out and then and you see this ark of the covenant come up this gold it looked just like what's in the Bible. It's pretty cool. But what you see first is the mercy seat which is the lid on the piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant which represented God with the angels with the wings. You know I'm talking about the two angels just like what I saw, that's just like what the Bible says, and they brought the Ark of the Covenant out. That's what I'm talking about. The Ark of the Covenant had this mercy seat on. It's a lid. It's a covering. A covering, right? Ladies, when you cook, you put the lid on the pot to cover it, right? Anybody see where I'm going with this? The Bible says that Jesus is our covering, that his death is a propitiatory work. It's an atoning work. It is covers, not only did he die in our place, but the power of the blood is such that it covers our sin, so that you can't see the sin anymore, and that's what I'm trying to preach to you today, is when you get saved, everybody knows you're a sinner, everybody knows that you've done wrong, but when you get saved and you say, Jesus, forgive me, he not only forgives you, he expunges the record, and the blood covers your sins, so that God doesn't even see your sins anymore, and he says, there's an old song, says What sins are you talking about I don't remember them anymore From the book of life They've all been torn out And I don't remember them anymore Hallelujah Isn't that awesome He died That's why the Bible says He was wounded for my transgression And he was bruised for my iniquity And the punishment that brought me peace Was on him And by his stripes Is how I get healed See isn't that powerful So that's the price that had to be. So God had a plan, and God had a prerequisite faith. God had a price to be paid, Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice, pay the price for us, okay? And and then, fourth, God creates this position. Because before you're in sin, he says, I'm going to create this brand new position where you're going to be in Christ. In Christ. If any man or woman be in Christ." He is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And it's in Christ that I get the righteousness of Christ. So hang on and let me teach you something that you're going to absorb. But if you'll absorb it and then let it move from your head to your heart to your spirit, you might even shout a little bit. Y'all ready? When God saves you, He imputes or reckons. To your account, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And not only does he reckon it, that's a good southern word, isn't it? I reckon. Not only does he reckon it to your account, impute it to your account, but the Bible even goes so far as to say he makes you righteous. Makes a sinner now right. For God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us that we might become the right, not, not get righteousness, become the righteousness of God in Jesus. You're stewing on it and it hasn't got in your hands and feet and your mouth yet. You went down a sinner, you came up a saint. You went down wrong, you came up right. You went down out of sorts with God, but you came up a child of God. You went down all messed up, but you came out, I don't understand it, as righteous as Jesus, the son of God is. When you walked out, you had the same righteousness as God. You can't get any more righteous than the righteousness of God, and it was in your account, and that's a fact. Okay, so I'm in, I, I got a checking account, and I'm $17,439,827.19 in the red. I'm in the red. I'm in trouble. I can't get that money back to the bank. You with me? So what am I going to do? Somebody comes along and says, "I'm going to give you 18 million." And 19 cents. I can't remember whatever number I made up. Gives me the exact amount and gets the balance back to zero. Woo! Thank you, man. Oh, because the late fees and all that—you just don't know—they're killing me. Right? The overdrafts are killing me. That would be wonderful. You know how many people would be happy just to get the account back to zero, right? Okay, but that's not the way it works. What if somebody comes along and not only paid it and got it back to zero, but then put $14 million in the account of their money? Oh, you don't like that? How about $140 million? Oh, that's still not good. How about $400 million? Oh, that's not still not a good enough. How about, how about $1 trillion in your checking account? Huh? Wait a minute. I don't even think that's working. How about, how about they said, I'm going to pull a publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes on you. And I'm not only gonna put one trillion dollars in there, but I'm gonna give you one trillion dollars every day for the rest of your life. Does that sound good to anybody? Yes. Well, that ain't gonna happen. Not with money. But it happened 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. And it happened when you knelt in an old rugged cross because you were so deep in debt, there's no way you could pay it. But he paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him oh. Sin and left a crimson stain. He washed it. white, And he didn't just give me back to zero. He gave me the righteousness of Jesus. And it's Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down, and when I breathe my last, The righteousness will still be there. And when I wake up in glory, I'll have his righteousness for all of eternity. Somebody ought to be getting happy in this Pentecostal church. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's the righteousness you have of Jesus. That'll blow your mind, won't it? Because we think Jesus just did us a little something, a little favor. No, he didn't. Paul said, For me to live. It's Christ. I don't add a little Sunday, a little religion, a little Jesus when I get saved. I got all of Jesus, and Jesus got all of me, and my whole life is about you. Because I know if I'm going to stay right with God, I got to stay in Jesus. So on the cross, oh, oh wait a minute. Oh, I got to give you all one more. Y'all want one more? This is even better. And your sins are no longer reckoned to your account. They're no longer imputed to your account. They're gone. Crazy. So on the cross, on the cross, on the cross when Jesus died, your sin and guilt were imputed to Jesus. But at the altar, when you pray, Jesus' righteousness is imputed to you. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. So, what does that do? Jesus' righteousness overcomes my desperate sinful condition. That's why when people get saved, they get saved, they change. Jesus' righteousness frees me from the power of sin, from the power of Satan. That's why I don't have to sin anymore. That's why righteous people live right. Jesus' righteousness causes me to measure up to the holy demands of God. I can do what the Bible says. And it's not a theory, it's not fiction, it's not a man-made arrangement, and it's not the result of religious activity. It is the work of Almighty God. And so I, I, you don't ever have to doubt it. All right, so God had a plan. We're going to do with this with Jesus. God had a prerequisite. You've got to have faith in what the Lord's done, what Jesus has done. God set a price. It was the death of Jesus, the blood that He paid. God creates this new position where now you're not going to be in sin anymore. You're going to be in Christ, and you're going to have the righteousness of Jesus. reckoned to your account, you're going to be made righteous. But here's the last one, which really sums up justification, and then God makes a pronouncement. This is in verse 26. Because at its core, justification is an announcement. It's a pronouncement of your righteousness, okay? It's the verdict. And How many of you know when God says something, you can always bank on it? So, I want you to imagine that you are in heaven's courtroom. God is seated on the throne, and you're standing before Him, a sinner. You kneel before Him and you say, "Dear Jesus, I'm God. I'm so sorry. I'm a sinner. I'm everything. I'm guilty, guilty as charged. I am so sorry. And I deserve death. I don't deserve anything from you, but I plead for mercy." And I believe that Jesus died for me and took the punishment for my sin so that I don't have to be punished. I believe that. And I want you to appropriate that to me and forgive me and wash me and cleanse me and change me. And right now I confess that you are the one that can save me. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my leader. You pray that prayer in Jesus' name, amen, and you get up. Now you're still standing before God. But now you're not a sinner anymore. You're born again. You've been reconciled. You're a new believer. What happens? God the righteous judge speaks. And hear him as he declares, by the power vested in me, you are no longer a sinner. You want to shout, but you don't know what to do. By the power invested in me, I declare that all your sins are forgiven and they're covered by the blood. They're no longer in the court records. They're gone. And finally, by the power invested in me, I declare that you stand righteous before me. Case dismissed. That's what happened the day you got saved. That's what happens when you get saved. When God says you're righteous, you're righteous. This is your actual state, and your past doesn't come into play. What the devil says doesn't matter. The opinions of others, don't listen to them. The only thing that matters is what God said. If God says you're saved and you're right, guess what? You're right. Because when you get saved, you just need to get ready. There's a devil. He's real. He's going to show up and whisper in your ear and say, you're not saved. I know the kind of life you lived. I know what, what kind of person you are. You're not saved. Why would you think God would love anybody like you and change anybody like you and save anybody like you? Those, this is what you do. You say, devil, you're a liar. Everything comes out of your mouth is a lie. So if you say I'm not saved, then the opposite must be true. I am saved. But more than that, it's true because God, who doesn't lie, says I'm saved, so you need to shut up up, Jack, and you need to get out of my life and leave me alone because I am saved. I am right before God. I'm justified. I want to take you back to Luke 18 to close this message. So here's the story. Jesus tells this parable about two guys that go to church. It's a Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, both of these guys walk into church. Pharisee goes to the front row like y'all. Tax collector stays in the back. Um, Pharisee, is a very religious man, church guy, goes to church, dresses in a way where he wants people to think that he's a church guy and, you know, a religious guy. Everything about him says, church guy, this should be a good guy, okay? He comes to church, gets up the front, starts praying. Both these guys pray. Pharisee, Lord, I just want to thank you for how good I am. <laughs> That's what he prays. I just want to praise me. Lord, as I praise you, I praise me. Lord, I do this and I do that and I give tithes and I come to church and I and I treat people right and I do this and I'm a good person, Lord. And he's just bragging about how good he is. And then he then he changes. He turns around, he's looking around, and he says, Oh God, God, you see that IRS agent back there? ain't nothing like him, Lord. I just, I just want you to know I'm good. You know, thank God I'm not like him, Lord. You know how good a person I am, Lord. And all he's doing is bragging on himself and comparing himself to other people to try to justify himself before God. Meanwhile, the old IRS agent in the back of the church walks in with his head down. Probably his, hardly ever goes to church, but that Sunday he knew he had to get to church because he's under conviction and he knows he's in trouble. He knows that he's in a mess, and he walks back there, and he won't even lift his head up. He's humble before God, and he starts praying just like the Pharisee, except his prayer goes something like this. Lord, I am a sinner. I'm in a mess. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm scared to death. I'm I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. I can't save myself. I am mean. I have taken people's houses and possessions through the government. My people see me as a traitor. I, I, I steal money. I charge people more taxes than what they're supposed to, and I pay the government. I put the rest of it in my pocket. I'm a crook, nobody likes me, I'm just, I'm hateful, God, even my dog doesn't like me, I mean, it's one of those things, and he's just praying, and he's just saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, this is me, and then this is what he prays, God, have mercy on me, I just need mercy, if anything's gonna happen, he, look, look, watch this, God, I can't save myself, I can't help myself, you gotta help me, dude up front is helping himself, and just asking God to prove it. Seeing that? And that's not so foreign because I know a lot of people that go to church. I know people go to church. Some don't. But I know people go to church. They're not saved, but they want everybody to think they're saved. And they act different when they get around me than when they get around non-believers. Always got to act upright when the preacher's around, you know. Or if they get around you, they might act, depending on what they think your spiritual condition is. I've seen people like all the time. They brag, and boast about what they do, and they go to church, and they give tithes, and they, they can volunteer. They're not even saved. And, and they say, Well, my mom and daddy are saved, and I grew up in church, and they think all that's gonna make them right with God. But they're but they're justifying themselves and then just hoping God will approve. That's not the plan. It's not the plan. The plan is Jesus does it all, and you just humbly come and say, I'm in a mess. I can't save myself. You've got to help me. If it's going to happen, you've got to do it. And Jesus said that the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home, watch this, justified. And he said, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself before God, God will raise you up. From a sinner to a saint, from unrighteous to righteous, from a child of hell to a child of God. So let me just ask you this, and those of you who are watching right now online. I know that many of you, most of you in this room are saved, so I'm preaching to people that aren't saved. So this is not going to apply to you, but if you're in this building and you're not saved, you're watching online and you're not saved, which category are you in? Because you're in one or the other. You're either in the category that says, I'm a good person, I'm a law-abiding citizen, I'm a moral person, I'm I'm, I'm an upright guy, I'm not a serial killer. A lot of people say that. I'm not a serial killer. Are you justifying yourself? Are you in the category that says, I'm in a mess. I have lived a wicked life and I need somebody to help me and the only person who can help me is God. Because God will never justify you as long as you keep justifying yourself. There comes a point where you have to say, God, help me, have mercy on me. The two thieves on the cross were like that. One, he still thought he didn't deserve to be crucified. He's dying. He's giving God a hard time, giving Jesus a hard time. Meanwhile, the other one told him, you know, you need to just shut up because you and I both deserve what we're getting. Read it. It's what it says. You and I deserve what we're getting. This man in the middle has done nothing wrong. That's how you're justified. Because the man in the middle dying has done nothing wrong and you've done everything wrong. If you just trust what the man in the middle's done, then he'll make you right. And unless the other dude got his life in order, he probably died in his sins and went to hell. But this one, craziest sinner's prayer that's ever been prayed. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the craziest sinner's prayer I've ever heard in my life. How unorthodox. But Jesus saw his heart and said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And the dude died on the cross and woke up in heaven. Who can Jesus save? Pastor, he can save anybody. Really? Can he save a pedophile? Can he save a serial killer? Can he, can he save a hell's angel? Ooh, hell's angels, that's scary. Can he, can he save a kingpin of a drug cartel who's just putting all these people on drugs, ruin our society? He says, "Well, he can save him, but I don't know if I want him to save him. Lord, because those are wicked people. Does he just save white, southern, middle class people? Whoa, by you watching online, it's quiet in here. See, if the gospel is going to be the gospel, and if God's going to be God, then he can save anybody, and he can save everybody. No matter how bad you've been. And that's the truth of the gospel. He'll save you. He'll change you. Revolutionize your life. I guess you have to just ask is, how do you plead? How do you plead? How do you plead, sir? Oh, not guilty. God says that I can't do anything for you. But you fixing to be found guilty because the evidence demands a verdict of guilty. How do you plead, ma'am? Guilty. I did it. I did it. I'm guilty as charged. And you expect the worst. But you put your faith in Jesus and God says you're justified. And you get the best. Won't you stand with me this morning? Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are nine o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.